0: Welcome to our new home. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here today. You're always welcome here. Uh, I want to make sure I do this. Um, Bob and Deb Williams, founding pastors of What Would Become Connection. Thank you, Van and Tricia. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. I, I don't think we can say thank you enough for all of us, what we've done together, what God's done through us, and I'm just blown away by that. So, uh, Speaking of houses, though, and I hope this isn't something that's ever in your past or your future, but have you ever thought about what you would grab out of your house if it was on fire? I'm gonna take these off so there you go now I can't see you so I can't s- <laughs> I can so if you were to come home and your house on fire oh my gosh what would you do I hope it's a hypothetical but what would you grab what would you save what would you make sure made it out of the house you know for a lot of us that's hopefully but it's a good question because it forces you to ask what really is important to me what would I put my life in jeopardy to save you know for a lot of us it could be a hypothetical question but people in California a few months ago it was a real thing right the wildfires as block after block was scorched people had moments sometimes seconds to figure out what are we going to take out of the house and in that moment it was very clarifying we grab this and this and we go for one person who was a musician he grabbed his violin out of the house uh, one guy who loved to play golf got his golf clubs I hope he got his spouse too but he got the clubs one bride-to-be, she grabbed her wedding dress and dashed out. Somebody else was very practical. Some people, like a mom, young mom, she was like, oh, my gosh. So she grabbed diapers and wipes and clothes for her kids and got to the shelter and went, I have nothing for me. That's a mom right there. One uh, other lady, an 82-year-old woman, bless her heart, she got her walker and a hairbrush, completely forgot her husband's thyroid medication. He, it's okay. He's the guy that grabbed the golf club, so it's, it's <laughs> One man, sadly, this true story, died refusing to leave something behind. His nephew was begging him, come on, we've got to go, we've got to go. And his uncle said, I will not leave without my truck. And he passed away. A different fire but one young man woke one night in the middle of the winter and the fire alarm was going off and it woke him up and the room was filled with smoke he opened the door there's flames everywhere in the house he got across the hall woke up his roommate got them out of the house and then they're standing there and the fire department is there pouring water on the flames there's smoke everywhere and he got this panicked look on his face and went sprinting back into the house and as the firemen are screaming at him don't go in there because it's fully engaged He runs in, and then the police are just like, we're going to recover his body. He comes running out a few moments later with his arms victoriously in the air, smoke pouring off of his body, holding his Xbox. So police told one of the reporters who asked about this, yeah, I think he only suffered from smoke inhalation, to which I'm thinking, yeah, he suffered from a little more than that. But isn't this true? When when something like this happens, it forces you to clarify what's really important to me. What will I grab? What will I save? Who's most important? The pets, hopefully, pictures, um, people. It's those times where you just, sometimes you, you're surprised by what your mind first goes to. So I want to invite you, if you would turn in the Bible to Luke 19. We're going to engage in a true story, a real scene in Jesus' life where he made it very clear what was most important to him. It was shocking to everybody who was there. So if you want to find Luke 19 in the Bible, if you're newer to the Bible and you do have a paper version of it today, do not be afraid to go to the table of contents in the Bible and find Luke. That's what it's there for. Find the page number, and then just keep looking through Luke until you find the big 19, and you'll be there. If you've got one of these... You can download the Bible app for free. It's amazing, and then you can look like you know what you're doing. It's like, yeah, Luke, type it real quick. Boom, there it is. And then, uh, if you want to use the Wi-Fi here, it's the connection guest Wi-Fi. It's I think the password is really hard. It's like guest one two three. It's on your worship folder. Do not check Facebook. Go to the Bible app. So we're going to look at this. It's up on the screen. We're going to walk our way through a true story, real encounter with Jesus, and just see what happened. Everybody was shocked at what happened. So we're going to just read verse 1 to set context. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. So let's just stop and realize what is going on here. He's in the city of Jericho in Israel with his closest disciples following him and probably a crowd of people as well. But it's what happens before this that really makes this seem more important. Because if you were to go back into chapter 18, it's not too long before this that Jesus has gathered the closest disciples, the inner circle together, and he said, I just want you to know what the game plan is going forward from here. Because at this point, Jesus has been preaching and teaching for over three years, and he circles them up, and he said, we're going to Jerusalem, and they go, yeah, we're going for Passover, right? No. We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested by the religious leaders, and I'm, I'm going to be put on trial, uh, they'll hand me over to the Gentile authorities, I'll be tortured, I will be murdered, I will be crucified but don't, don't worry about it because I will come back to life three days later. They had no idea what he was talking about. It only made sense to them in hindsight. But I want you to know that he's told them that. Jesus knows I'm going to Jerusalem to die. When they go into Jericho, the reason he's going through Jericho is not just because they're going to Jerusalem like everyone else in the spring to celebrate Passover, he knows that within a week he's going to be arrested and crucified on Friday. Time is short is what I'm saying. A whole lot of things are about to happen. And so, as he's traveling through Jericho, I don't have a map to show you, just picture it in your mind. Like, if you hold your hand out and you put Jerusalem right in the center of your palm, Jericho is just several miles northeast of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's like the capital city of of, uh, Israel. It's where everybody's going to the temple to celebrate Passover, this big Jewish festival, this big Jewish feast in the spring. But for a lot of people who are coming from all over the world, thousands and thousands of Jewish people coming home to celebrate, they would have had to go through Jericho, this really nice city, Beautiful city. I, I, just in my mind, because they call it the City of Palms, I immediately think Jericho is like Los Angeles. I have no basis other than I just think that's what I think. But if you keep that analogy, if you make Los Angeles, Jerusalem, I know it doesn't work geographically, but have you ever been to John Wayne Airport out in Orange County? Like, why would you ever go back to LAX if you've been to John Wayne? It's such a nice airport compared to LAX. And I think of Jericho as like that. It's like the nice suburb of Jerusalem. Herod, King Herod, had pumped a lot of money into Jericho. So was a very wealthy place. He put a lot of money into the streets. There's marble uh, government buildings. There were palaces there. There were people, it was like a crossroads of trade routes. A lot of money went through there. And then you got all these pilgrims coming back home. It was probably really crowded that morning or that day when Jesus is walking through with his disciples. A lot of noise, a lot of beautiful things, the palm trees. But with all of that niceness comes something else that's not so nice. Taxes. That's how they pay for all these things. So you go to verse 2 in Luke 19. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. And so we're told several things here about this man, Zacchaeus, who lives and works in Jericho. What's his job? Tax collector, right? But he's not just tax collector. He's not just assistant to the regional manager. What is he? Chief tax collector. He's, he's the high guy on the totem pole. And beyond that, what else do we know about him? He was a wee little man. Yes? and wealthy. I'll go with either one, which is a thing, right? If you grew up in church, didn't we sing a song about him? If you, if you didn't grow up in church, it's okay, because you're about to experience what junior church was like for me. So I'm not a very good singer, but I would love to sing the Zacchaeus song, and some of you know it. So could, those of you who are good singers, I'll get us started, and I'll quickly drop out. But can we sing that together? And there are motions, too, so I'll do the motions. So if you don't know what they are, but crowd participation time. Ready? All right, here we go. Zacchaeus was... We little man, a wee little man. He Ready? He Some of you aren't doing it. You're going to come up here with me if you aren't. There you go. Ready? Get your finger pointer. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Clap. Go into your house today. You guys are awesome gold star. You guys, what was <laughs> so when you think of Zacchaeus, he was short, or at least we think he was because he climbed it. We'll, we'll get to this in a second if you're going like, I don't even know. Well, it's part of the true account of what happened, but if you have any memory of Zacchaeus or hearing this story at all, it's probably shrouded in good feelings and this pleasant song. Uh, and so if you think of him like as an, in terms of an actor, you might think of Joe Pesci, the bad guy in Home Alone. Like, you know, just it's happy music, but Zacchaeus really, in real life, probably wasn't like Joe Pesci in Home Alone. He's more like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Do I amuse you? I'm funny. How am I funny? Like a clown? Like a tough guy. And here's how I know that. You don't get to be the chief tax collector and wealthy in a place like Jericho, being a nice guy. Zacchaeus was probably the kind of guy who says, you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. He knew how to get things done. So if you think about like, what we have to do in a month from now, I'm sorry to bring it up, but April 15th cometh, so get your taxes done. You think about how you feel about the IRS, and you think about how you feel when you have to go to the DMV to renew your license plates, and multiply that by 1,000, and that's how people in Israel felt about Zacchaeus and people like him who collected taxes. Horribly corrupt system. People like Zacchaeus were notoriously corrupt. So Israel is not a sovereign country at this point in history. They're part of what makes up the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire collected taxes from everybody. And they had a really unique, well, I don't know if it's unique or not, but their system for collecting taxes was they outsourced it. They would come into a place like Israel and they'd come into a district with Jericho and they would assess, how much wealth do we think is in this area? Therefore, how much of that wealth gets to transfer to us? How much taxes can we expect? And then they would outsource the job of collecting the taxes to somebody like Zacchaeus. And they would give them, like, you collect $4 million this year from this district. We don't care how you get it, but at the end of the year, you owe us $4 million. And so then somebody like Zacchaeus would bid for this job, and the highest bidder got the job of collecting the taxes. He then would hire all these other people who would actually go out and collect the taxes from people. And so you had the privilege of paying the Roman tax. Then you get to pay the Zacchaeus tax for the privilege of paying him your taxes. And then you get to pay all of Zacchaeus employees who get to take their cut So pretty soon, you're paying a significant chunk of your income or your livelihood or crossing the bridge every day, whatever it was. You were constantly turning money over to somebody else, and everybody hated this. And by extension, they hated tax collectors like Zacchaeus with a passion. And this is what happens next. Something is happening in Zacchaeus' heart, and we don't see it quite yet, but you get a little glimpse of it in verse 3. Look at this. So it says, uh, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Genius idea, he ran ahead of the crowd, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. So I don't know what it was in, Jesus, or in, in Zacchaeus' mind since I got to see this guy. Maybe he was just intrigued by the rumors that he'd heard about Jesus. As I said earlier, he's been preaching three and a half years. He's said some really interesting things about God, He's done all these miracles. There's even rumors floating around that Jesus has raised people from the dead. And so it's no wonder that Zacchaeus is thinking, I just would like to see this guy. I just want to see him. And so he runs ahead, climbs the tree. And i have been thinking about this. What are the chances that somebody like Zacchaeus is actually going to get to see Jesus? I, uh, I don't know if you ever do this, I imagine I like, can time travel, and I think about where I would want to go, and one of the things I think about, do you ever do, like, I would love to go back and talk to Jesus, because I've got so many questions, and I would just like to see him do a miracle, and, um, and even in my imagination, I can't let myself enjoy it, because I start thinking about all the thousands of other people, like me, who would like to see Jesus, like, take a number, buddy, <laughs> you not see there's 5,000 of us, remember that time that Jesus fed 5,000 people, two fish, five loaves of bread, if you don't remember that, he did, and there's probably more than that there, that was just the men, 5,000 men, So I started doing the math. What if that day every single person got to have a conversation with Jesus? How long would that take? 5,000 people. So what if Jesus took his calendar and he plotted out 18 hours and said, I'm going to just face-to-face with people, one conversation right after the other, and I'm not going to take a bio break, I'm not going to eat, I'm just going to talk to people. I ran the math on that, and each person would have about 13 seconds of conversation with Jesus before it's the next person's turn. Hey, Jesus, I'm Brian. I really wanted to ask what you meant when you said, and then here's Peter, James, and John. Going, okay, your time's up, buddy. Get <laughs> Next person. Most people didn't get to have a long, engaging conversation with Jesus. They heard him teach from a distance. They saw him maybe with the inner circle. But there just literally was not enough time in Jesus' day to talk to everybody. So what a privilege it would be if you could actually talk to Jesus. So many people wanted the privilege of having a face-to-face conversation with him. And Zacchaeus just wants to see him. And as Jesus and the whole crowd that's always with him at this point make their way over, look at what happens. This is in verse 5. Jesus came by. He looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I even picture Jesus grinning when he says it. Zacchaeus, get down here. I'm hungry. Dude, we're going to your house. Let's go. You ever had somebody call your name and you didn't know they knew your name? Do you ever get that little feeling in your stomach, oh my gosh, what have I done now? If you don't, you probably didn't have the childhood I had, because I constantly hear my name, and then you hear the full name. But how is Zacchaeus like, oh my God, how does he know my name? Oh, what did I do that he knows my name? (laughs) And this is a good thing, though. And and Zacchaeus understands what an awesome privilege this is, to be invited to invite somebody to your house. You and I have no idea what a gracious invitation this would have been for anybody to just spend one-on-one time with Jesus over a table to share a meal together. And and here's how we know it was even more of a gracious invitation, and it's by how the rest of the people responded. Look at verse 6. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly, of course. But all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. Which is what a lot of people we're saying uh, around Jesus' ministry, like, there are so many people that would have just loved to get a high-five from Jesus, a fist bump from Jesus, a, hey, Brian, good to see you here today kind of thing. And of all the people Jesus could choose to eat a meal with, he picks that guy? Mr. IRS mafia guy? Really? What is up with this? And this is not the first time Jesus has been criticized for who he chose to spend time with. If you were to take Luke and just go three chapters back to Luke 15, listen to this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, I'd love to mean, (laughs) you know what that means. they, They often came to listen to Jesus teach, and this made the Pharisees and the religious, teachers of the religious law, the good people, complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And then you go even further back into Luke chapter 5, 29 and 30, it says later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Which is a good question. Jesus, of all the people who could spend time with you, so many people who've spent their whole life trying to do the right thing before God, you choose a guy who's deliberately spent his entire life making the wrong life choices, and you're going to eat with that guy? Why? What are you doing? And I like what Mark Moore says. He's a professor and a scholar. He says, we're often bewildered and offended at the people God chooses to love and their immediate and affectionate response to Jesus. I wonder myself, why did you spend time with him? Jesus, I would like to ask him, why did you choose Zacchaeus of all the people in that crowd? I think we start to get the answer in verse 8. Just go ahead and read this. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, because he's hearing what all these people are complaining about. He stands up and he says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. It's gone. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, and everybody else goes, If? I will pay back four times the amount, which is well beyond what the law would require for restitution. Like, Zacchaeus is not dumb. He sees the look of scorn on people's faces. He knows what they're whispering about him or maybe not just actually saying out loud. But something's changing in his heart. Something about sitting down with this perfect person and sharing a meal and feeling warmth and grace and acceptance where he's usually found shame and scorn and shunning, it's changing him. And and people knew what Zacchaeus was and he knew what they thought he was, And they're probably right. And he also knows what they would like to do to him. Like this little girl, Brandon Stanton, uh, the Humans of New York blog. I don't know if you've ever followed that. It's amazing, amazing storytelling. He was in India, and he found this little girl. She's a cute little kid. She said, I want to be a police. I'll find the robbers because they'll have handkerchiefs on their face. Real easy to identify. I'll tell them it's bad to steal and never steal again, Then I will hit them with a stick And I'll tell their mom and dad who will yell at them, and if they don't listen, I'll hit them with a stick again. You know how many people in the room that day were going, I'd like to get a stick and come here, Zacchaeus, and put your face in this. And You know, if they were singing the song, it'd be like, Jesus gets to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down and grab a switch on the way because you got a spanking coming, buddy. I think people are upset with Jesus because Jesus is a good person and they like to think that they're good people and they like to think Jesus, good people like us don't hang around with people bad people like that. No, we, we got a reputation to maintain and bad company corrupts good character and, and Jesus is doing everything that blows their expectations out of the water. He hangs around with the people that nobody else thinks you should hang around with, the people that nobody wants to be hanging around with. I love what Jesus said and this probably is the key here of why Jesus chose to go to his house that day. He's setting a great example. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. And I, I picture Jesus, I'm just gonna paraphrase him, this is not out of the Bible, this is just me. I picture Jesus saying, When I was born, before I was born, an angel came to my adoptive father, Joseph, and he told him that I should be named Jesus because I would save my people from their sins. He's a sinner. I'm here to save people from their sins. Why would I not spend time with him? If I'm a doctor, I'm going to go where the sick people are. If I'm a savior, I'm going to go where the sinful people are. And it took people a long time to get their mind switched around and wrapped around that. First of all, just to realize, I'm not as good as I think I am either. But then to imagine that God may actually be for us, not against us, that was a huge shift. There's just something about Jesus. Like everybody else looks at people like Zacchaeus, and they see a sinner to shun, and Jesus looks at them as a someone to save. That's the mindset that if we follow Jesus here, that we should be embracing. I look at, I look at Jesus and I think, I really wish I could, I, and I will, I want to meet him face to face. I want to know what kind of a guy makes really sinful people feel like, I like this guy. He tells me the truth. He tells me exactly what's wrong in my life, but he sure does make me feel hope for my future. I feel like I'm accepted and loved and like things are possible that were never possible before. That's what happens whenever anybody who truly had an open heart Found when they came to Jesus, and I'm I'm just thinking I could be wrong about this, but I'm thinking that the Zacchaeus who woke up that morning was a completely different guy than than that afternoon after lunch. He said, I think the Zacchaeus that morning would never have agreed to give half of his wealth away to poor people or to make restitution four times the amount of whatever he had stolen. That's what happened after he met Jesus. Something just completely changed in his life. Jesus has that kind of impact on people. Sick people get. Healthy, simple people get saved. To me, it just feels like the best thing that we could ever do is get ourselves in front of Jesus and get anybody we cared about in the same room with Jesus. And honestly, for the last what's been driving me for the last 18 years is just getting people in touch with Jesus. And that's what drives this church. In fact, if you're newer here, what we say is that our mission is to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus. It's all about him. There's no other name that's been given for people to be saved but the name of Jesus. So here's why anyone is welcome in our new home. You say well i don't know if i should bring this friend yes you can well they're not really they're kind of rough yeah that's fine they can come here they'll be welcome because jesus would welcome them jesus would sit down and eat dinner with them and would talk to them and so of course if i'm his follower i have to do the same thing and i want to do the same thing and let's just be honest anytime we start thinking well i don't know if that's do any of us really deserve to be here in your most honest moment could you ever say that with a straight face I am so thankful to be a part of a church family that's been living out this ideal for so long. And I love the, the merge that brought two families that think the same way together. I love that what we were talking about last week, if you were here, that the shelter's not full until everyone's in it. And, you know, we'll, we'll buy more chairs, we'll add parking, we'll add services, we'll do whatever it takes. Because this should be a place where people find Jesus and get their life in order again. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about some of the things that we've gone through. And um, I'm speaking to, if you've been here for any part of the journey at all, I am talking to you. If you're like, I've only been here for a little bit, yes, I'm talking to you. I am so thankful for what you have done and been willing to put up with so that we could bring people to Jesus. And you go back, and you saw the video with Aaron, all the different places we have met. Man, you, some of you do remember walking into the Casey Hall and, mmm, fish fry, beer and vomit, great. And then then you walk into, you know, the the elementary school, and you go, sticky syrup. And then we walk into the West Middle School, mmm, gym socks, junior high boys, this is great. And you go into the theater, oh, popcorn, and an undercurrent of mildew, this is awesome. You put up with all of that. You put up with the construction, you put up, some of you, Darden Prairie, you, you had a building, and you were willing to walk away from that to go to the theater as we came together because we said, look, people matter to God, and they're more important than where we meet. And we'll put up with that if we can get our friends in the same room with Jesus. Some of you were here for the Cannonball Campaign several years ago. If you don't know whether there's a poster in the corner. You can look at it on your way out. Some of you were here for the Rooted Campaign two years ago. And uh, I was reading their Rooted book, and I have to apologize to some of you because in the Rooted book, it says that our dream, this is back in 2016, it says there, our dream is that we will have our first worship service in the newly completed building on Easter of 2018. Man, we blew that. I am so sorry that we didn't have our first service Easter of 2018. Look at what the Lord has done. It would never have been possible if we hadn't said, Lord, we want your plan to be the plan that succeeds. I love what Van said, what you said in the, um, the offering talk. And a proverb that means a lot to me too is Proverbs 16.1 where it says, We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. So many of you just said, look, I'll do what I can. I'll seek the Lord. I'll I'll say yes to whatever he asked me to do. But at the end of the day, it's what God has done. I want to uh, invite some people to come up here. So I want to invite anyone who is on the Rooted campaign team, anyone who's on the Cannonball campaign team, and our building team to come forward. I want you to see these people and appreciate them. Come on up, guys. It's a The leader of our building team that flowed out of Cannonball, which helped get us launched as, as Connection, the, the Rooted campaign, which allowed us to have the money to do this, and then just the hours, and and if I think if you added it all up, it would probably add up to months' worth of work to make this a reality. I'm going to read something that Rhonda Page, this is Rhonda, Rhonda is the chair of our building team, phenomenal job. I, I hear friends of mine talk about, building and and like they just they won't they lose all hope for life during building campaigns and that never really happened for us Rhonda said this about our team everyone brought out their unique set of talents experiences insights to the work it was this collective union that worked so beautifully together allowed the project to be realized life circumstances didn't allow everyone to contribute in the same way or with equal amounts of time but each person's efforts were needed and just as important in helping us accomplish the goal and i can tell you honestly folks these people deserve our honor and our gratitude and let's give it to them If you are one of the people who's come to faith or come back to God in, through this experience, these are some of the people who've helped that. But, and you guys, you're welcome to sit down. I love having a bodyguard, though, up here. This is awesome. You guys are great. You're welcome, Brian. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this. Um, many of you gave up vacations. You, stole, you sold stuff that was very, I hope you didn't steal. That would be bad. You sold some stuff that hopefully was yours. To contribute. <laughs> you maybe put off getting a new car and drove that car longer than you ever thought you could and God allowed it to continue to go so that you could contribute. And I want you to link and connect the dots. You know, you gave up things you love for people you love more, and there will be people in heaven for all of eternity because the you said I will do this. I'll make my talents, my abilities, my energy. I'll come tear down drywall. I'll come lay sod. I'll come, you know, put a check in the offering that I can't believe I'm putting in there. This is us together, and look what God has done with it, and look what God will do. There will be people in heaven 500 years from now because of what you're doing now. I hope and pray, and I hope that you'll even take it a step further, and that you are thinking about, who can I invite to church? Who needs to be here to experience this? Because I think God's working here. He's working in a lot of other churches. There's some great churches in our community. But my gosh, when you compare the seating capacity of our churches in Darden Prairie versus the people who aren't going anywhere, we got our work cut out for us, do we not? We got to get them here so they can experience what Jesus can do. If you love somebody, why would you not get them in contact with Jesus? And don't tell me, yeah, I'm kind of like, I've done this for a long time, I'm older, it's like time for the younger people, like, I've hit my finish line, it's their starting, no, listen, I want to share something with you that I saw, Rick actually, he's a pastor in Texas, posted on social media recently, this is an awesome picture, 90-year-old Evelyn shared her faith with her 95-year-old friend, Dolores, who was baptized tonight in the hills, way cool, am I right? I hope we do that here, like, when's the first time we can baptize somebody who's 100 years old? here in our church. And I would just say, and as some people have said before, when they finally give their life to the Lord, why did I wait so long? There are some, we've got some services coming up that are going to be powerful, and I want you right now to be thinking about who am, who am I related to, who do I work with, who do I hang around with that needs this, and invite them. We've got next Sunday, Palm Sunday is going to be a great weekend of worship. And we've got the Easter egg hunt, and it's just going to be a petting zoo, lots of fun. The weekend after that, we've got Good Friday services on March 30th. There are going to be four of them. They start at 5, 5.30, 6, and 6.30. Short services and a different speaker, different topic at each one. So you could come to one, you can come to four and experience that, invite some people to come, get your mind in the right place, think about the sacrifice of Jesus. Of course, Easter Sunday, April 1st, a lot of people will be open to coming to church with you if you ask them. This has got to be a place where people come. Even if they don't even think they believe, just come and think about it. Just come experience it and see what maybe God might be trying to get your attention about. This is a, I mean, I look around. I know some of you are from out of town, but we'll make more room for people. It's up to you. If you care about them, you need to get them in touch with Jesus. So a, kid, a couple of kids, they were grade school age They were talking to each other One of them went to church and was a Christian One of them had literally never been to church before So he's asking his friend, what does it mean to be a Christian? And he said, well you just You know, you trust Jesus and you accept him as your Lord And you follow him and you know, get baptized And his friend's like, wait You're telling me I can go to heaven just by trusting Jesus That's all I have to do? Yeah, like my parents, they just have to trust Jesus? Yeah, my sister? Yeah, and if you don't want her to be there, just don't tell her Like Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to invite? Let's fill this place up. And, and maybe for you, you're sitting here and like, you know that you've kind of done this with your life and you and Zacchaeus have more in common than you would care to admit. God's not going to point his finger in your face and say, what are you doing here? The, the, the best thing you could ever do is to release the authority of your life to Jesus and say, look, I've not done such a great job of leading my life. Why don't you lead my life? And I'll trust you for my salvation to forgive my sins and give me a new start. It's simple, you can do that. That's a baptistry, it's filled with water. We can baptize you into Jesus today. I would love to have that privilege. I'm gonna just pray here in a moment and I want you to think about what is it that God's been speaking to your heart and what do you need to do next? All of us, no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, have got something that God wants us to do next.